0: If you got your Bibles like for you open to John chapter 21, John chapter 21. We continue this series on unexpected Jesus and today is unexpected restoration and recommissioning, unexpected restoration and recommissioning. If I can uh, set the set the stage for uh for the passage that we will look at uh, Jesus has gone to the cross, and you know that, uh, that before he went to the cross, he had a Passover meal with his disciples, and they went to the garden and prayed, and while they were there in the garden, it says that the um, uh, soldiers came, and they came to arrest him, and when they arrested him, uh, everybody ran, and it was just Jesus. Peter sort of ran, but then Peter sort of stuck around and, and slipped in and sat around the fire uh, with the uh, servants and some of the other people trying to get a glimpse as to what was happening to Jesus. And in the midst of that, somebody said, they think that you're with Jesus and you sound like him. You're from Galilee. I think I've seen you. And he denied him twice. And on the third time, he denied him so much, he just cursed his name. And and, uh, and then all of a sudden, this ro- rooster crowed, which Jesus told him would happen after the third denial. And, and all of a sudden he realized exactly what he had done. And so carrying that around with him, and then the next day Jesus was crucified, and then he was buried. And then three days later on that Sunday, uh, he was risen from the dead, and no one was really expecting it. And, and uh, the angels ended up telling uh, the women that went to the tomb, uh, tell uh, the guys to meet me in, in Galilee, and I will, I will meet them there. And, Yet Jesus appeared to them a couple times before what we see happening here on John 21. But in the midst of that, you've got disciples who were with a man for three years, pledged their allegiance to him, but yet they ran away in his greatest hour. And especially Peter, who who verbally denied him those three times. And so, as we get ready prepared for this and this interaction is getting ready to happen with Jesus and with Peter and with six of the other disciples, I'm drawn to a passage in the Old Testament. It's found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19 says this Therefore, this is what the Lord says If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. This is what the Lord says If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. That word restore is a word that's used in the New Testament. And when that word's used in the New Testament, the etymology of that word means to mend a net, like a fishing net, to mend a net. It's also a word that's used for a doctor or a surgeon, that they would set a fractured limb or a dislocated joint. That's what restore means. We take something that was broken and we set it so that it can work again. And so this is going to be an unexpected restoration and recommissioning because all of these disciples, and especially Peter, needed some restoring. And there's some question when Jesus comes face to face with these men and has a discussion, what will the end result be? You see, it was three years ago that Peter was walking along, uh, that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and Peter uh, and, and, and John and Andrew and other guys, James, they're out there fishing, and as they're fishing, Jesus comes to them and says, men, I want you to uh, not just be catching fish, but I want you to catch men. I want you to follow me. And it says they left their nets and they followed him. And so these men began to follow Jesus. And they, for the next three years, it was an amazing ride. I mean, during those three years, they, they were following a man who said that he was the son of God. And they saw him do miracles that they couldn't explain. They heard him teach truths that they'd never heard before. They were paired together with other men that they would have never thought twice about hanging out with these guys. And yet, in the midst of all of that, it was like one of the greatest three years of their life. And there were the highs, you know, man, incredible miracles and stuff. And there were the lows, like that time when Peter told Jesus something and Jesus looked at him and says, get behind me, Satan. It's not what you want your boss to say. And, uh, and then there was that time when he got arrested and he cut off the servants here and Jesus wasn't real happy about that. And then worst of all, it was the time when he denied him three times. And so Peter's had his up and down on there. But where he is right now is he knows that he messed up big time. And his world is broken in a thousand pieces. And he's carried that with him. He's carried that with him from that late night to when he did that, to all the way through to John 21. And there are a number of us here today that we're walking through broken worlds. We're living in a broken world. I, I can look at high school students and college students and and for some of you, it's like I, I never guessed that the things I've gotten into, I would have ever gotten into. Had no idea the sexual temptations would be as strong as they are. Had no idea I would lose my virginity. Had no idea that my language now is spiced with more profanity than I ever thought it would be. I didn't know I would struggle with anger and jealousy and envy like, like I, I struggle with. I can't believe I've compromised some of these values that I thought that I held dear and what it does is just, it's like your world is shattered, and, it, and it's broken, and you're saying, is there any hope for me? And there's some out there as husbands and wives of saying, you remember the day that when you took those wedding vows and how excited you were, and, and uh, there was anticipation of this amazing life together, and that there would be joy of living throughout your life and celebrating that 50th wedding anniversary one day, and, and uh, but yet... Today, the situation you find yourself in is a little different because this morning, there are mixed feelings of both joy and sadness as unfulfilled promises and damaging words have shattered your world. And so, whether you're married or whether you're single or a young person or a college student, we've all, at times in our life, have hit something that has caused our world to be damaged, and it's broken and we ask ourselves and we ask God, is there a is there tomorrow? Is there another chance? Is, does a new start even exist? Can your broken world be rebuilt? And the answer is a resounding yes. Because Jesus restores and Jesus recommissions. And sometimes he does it unexpectedly. And that's what happened here. And so let me just give you some framework on, on Jesus' the restoring and the recommissioning. Number one is Jesus comes to where you are. Jesus comes to where you are. If you're in a broken world situation, he knows exactly where you are and he will come to where you are. Look in the first four verses of this passage. It says, and after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. That's the sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Now most people believe that was probably Andrew and Philip. All seven of these were from Galilee. We'll call them the Galilee Seven, okay? So out of the, out of the 12, seven of them were from Galilee. And he says that Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, hey, we'll go with you. And so they went out, and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So all these guys, they go fishing, and fishing was good for them. That was kind of emotionally something that they needed to do. Their whole life had been on the roller, just last week they have been on a roller coaster, and for Peter, therapeutically, this is what I need to do. I just need to go out and go fishing. And there are a number of you men here today that have already amened and circled that verse <laughs> and are, are telling your wife or your friends or your boss or your co-workers, I really got to go fishing. It's biblical. Uh, it's found there. <laughs> I'll also let you know that in verse 3 it says, and they caught nothing. So just <laughs> keep that in mind. And unless Jesus shows up on the shore, it could be a long day. But. Uh, so they go fishing, and I just kind of laugh because they fished all night and they hadn't caught anything, and you guar- I guarantee you at least one person's on the boat says, well, doesn't that tip a fire a week? I mean, this is the way everything's going. Well, verse 4 says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They just saw him standing over there on the shore. And so uh, it's interesting because Jesus wanted to restore Peter's broken world, and so what he did was he went to Galilee where Peter was from, he went to uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is where Peter worked. And he stood right at the spot where he knew that he would launch his boat and where he would go fishing. He went right to where he was. And for some today, as you're in a broken world situation, Jesus is meeting you right here today. This is right where you are. And then secondly, Jesus extends love and grace. He extends love and grace. Verse 5 he says, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Just what you want somebody to ask when you had not caught a thing. And they answered him, no, but thanks for asking, okay? And then verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment For he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And what would happen? You'd have this outer garment and then inner garment. you just kind of gird your loins and tuck the inner garment in, and that's where you're doing your fishing. And now all of a sudden he sticks on the outer garment, dives in the water, and he's swimming to Jesus. And so he's on his way. And verse 8 says this. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but about 100 yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. He's a fisherman (laughs) for sure. Anybody ever had a large catch, they'll always tell you exactly how many they caught. Is that true, fishermen? If you had a good day, you'll say, it was a good day. I caught this many, all right? If it was a bad day, they'd just skim over it, okay? Yeah, catch, release. I just released them all. All right, this is what he says. There were 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And so Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and so with the fish." And this is how the third time that Jesus was revealed to disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so look at, this, look at the setup. They fished all night and they caught nothing. All of a sudden Jesus comes and tells them to cast the net on the other side. They do, and they catch, and it says there's 153 fish. Now, this is just me. I like to look really close at Scripture. And why in the world, in, when you're reading the Scripture, did it say there were 153 all large fish, none to throw back, and the net was not torn? and the net was not torn. What does that mean? Let me tell you what I think it means. I think it means that when they bought that net, it had a guarantee of 125 fish. And, uh, and they bought it. It was 125 fish net, and they caught 153, and the thing didn't tear. Because if it did tear, they went back to the manufacturer. He wouldn't have given them their money back because he says, no, you had 153. We're not covered for 153. We're only covered for 125 So now what they did was they caught 153 and 125 net, and they said, it's a miracle. Not only did we catch the fish, but the net didn't tear. It's the only reason I can think why I put that, that little caveat in there. The net didn't tear. This is incredible. You can't get 153 large fish in one of these nets, but they did. And they haul this up, and all of a sudden when they do, guess what Jesus is doing? He's the Son of God, and he's cooking breakfast for seven men that failed him. Can you imagine? He has fixed this breakfast and all seven men that are sitting around him and all seven men that had failed him. It's not one of them he can look at and say, hey, man, thank you for being with me during the tough times. All seven of these guys, they let him down, all seven. And what was he doing? Built the fire, already brought some of his own fish, had some fish cooking. Then they started cooking theirs. And he's telling them, this is where you're to fish. He prepped his breakfast for them. He's doing it all. I just want to let you know, whatever your broken world experience is, no matter how much you have failed God, he extends that same love and grace to you today. So let's just understand this on the front end. Don't ever get to a point to where you say, my world is so broken that there's no way even Jesus would fix it. When he sits down with the men that he invested three years of his life with, and when in his greatest need, they all left him, And one of them in particular verbally denied and cursed him. And he's fixing breakfast for him. And he says, I can restore your world. He extends love and grace. Well, the morning started out pretty good because now they're sitting there. And anytime you get a bunch of guys together who've been together for about three years, it's just fun. And they're telling old stories and they're eating fish and eating bread and just having a big time. And then all of a sudden it's going to shift to a one-on-one conversation with Peter. And that's your third point, and that is that Jesus desires to restore you. Jesus desires to restore you. You say, well, how does he do the restoration? Well, the very first part of it is he reminds you of your sin. And I want us as we walk through here, as I've read through this again over and over, I'm kind of seeing it from a little bit different nuance, so just kind of hang with me on this. First of all, as he does, he reminds you of your sin. He, in verse 15 through 17, it says, And when they would finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I just thought that was interesting. Simon, son of John. Now, they're sitting, okay, because they're eating, and they're sitting on there, and it's just, you know, the seven guys, and like if it was our executive staff or so, it would be, hey, Michael and Chad and Todd and, 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 and Tom and, and uh, you know, our, uh, Scott. And, but he used his last name. You know, he didn't say, hey, Peter. He didn't say Simon. He says, Peter, son of John. That would be like me and just being in a meeting and saying, Scott Heath. When your boss says first and last name, what do you do? Does that make you a little nervous, just a tad, you know? Interesting that Jesus told Simon, uh, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore, I'm going to call you Peter. But then he does call him Simon at times. I don't know, that's a different sermon. But this one right here, it's just like first and last name, Danny Wood. Well, that got my attention. And he says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus said the very first time, do you love me more than these? It's so much fun to read commentaries. I know you enjoy it too. But uh, when you read commentaries, there's like volumes written on what does that mean? What does it mean? When he says, do you love me more than these? What's he talking about, these? And, and you can put it in the two areas. One area says, do you love me more than these? To say, the boat, the nets, the big catch of fish, the buddies that are sitting around here, do you love me more than these? And then there's another group that says, you remember when um, Jesus says, all of you will deny me? And Peter came alongside and told him, all these guys may deny you, but not me. I will never fall away. So is Jesus looking at Peter and saying, hey, do you love me more than these? You told me you did. What do you think? I remember I used to kind of be on the fence on that, but I've, kind of, I've gotten off that fence. And I don't really think that's what he was saying. You know, Peter's in enough pain as it is. It's not like Jesus has got to drive a knife in deeper in his back. And when you got the six guys sitting over there, and this one guy, Peter, said, Hey, I'm more committed than you are, why would Jesus ask that question again? And say, Hey, are you still more committed than all these guys? Because he's looking for a yes answer. And so once he says yes, and all these other six say, Well, great. And you're getting ready to set him up to be the leader of all of us. So a person, I don't think that's it. I think it's more of these things, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But either way, he's asking Peter, do you love me? And he's saying, do you love me more than these things, other things on there? And he said, yes. So, then he repeated the question twice. And each time he responded, but when he got to the third time, it said that he grieved. Peter was grieved when he asked it. And so, naturally, it's easy to look and say, there were three times that Peter denied Jesus, and so Jesus asked three times, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes, and when he got to that third one, it's like, man, I understand. You know, I've got the denial over here, and I've got this affirmation of love here. You see, you need to be reminded of your sin because before you can be restored and recommissioned, the sin in your life has to be addressed. You need to admit the wrong that was done and have a desire to be in a right relationship with God just got to own up to it. He said, I was wrong. I need forgiveness. I desire to be restored. And no matter how desperate your failure is or how deep-seated your shame, Jesus can forgive us, He can renew us, and then He can use us in His service. So, the first part of it is that we need to be reminded of our sins, but then the other part, the second part is He allows you to reaffirm your love for Him. He allows you to reaffirm your love for Him. And we can only go forward when we are unburdened of our destructive memories through the gracious forgiveness of God. Let me just share that statement one more time. We can only go forward when we are unburdened of our destructive memories through the gracious forgiveness of God. What we did stays in our mind over and over and over. And what we have to do is get through those destructive memories and we can only do that through the gracious forgiveness of God. Peter is being called to undo his denials with these three public reaffirmations of his love and loyalty to Jesus. He denied Jesus three times and now he's affirmed his love three times. And... Um, where most people look at it is saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And it's like hammering on him to say, do you remember when you denied me? Do you remember when you denied me? I see that a little different. I think that when Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, he's wanting to remind him of the sin, but at the same time, He's wanting to cancel out uh, each one of those times that he denied him. Because if you listen closely to what Jesus said, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And when Peter came back and said yes, Jesus didn't come back and say, I'm not so sure. Let me ask you again. You know what he said? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Then he comes ask him a second time, tend my sheep. Then he asked him a third time, feed my sheep. You know what he did? Each time Peter said yes, guess what Jesus did? I've got an area of responsibility for you. So he's not, it tells me that he's not trying to make him feel more painful. He doesn't need to make him more, feel more painful over what he's done. What he's trying to do is to show the love and the grace that's being extended to him. And when he asks him, and he asks him that one time, and then he says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, not only do I believe that so much, but I'm going to give you an area of responsibility. I'm going to move you into this area. So I'm gonna ask you a second time because there's a second time you denied me and when he says, yes, I love you, so I'm gonna remind you, I've got a place for you to serve. Or he asked that third time, I've got a place for you to serve. He gives him an opportunity to cancel out his denials and it's this affirmation of love that Jesus uses to drown out the echoes of his betrayal. He wants to drown those out so that is not some millstone around his neck for the remainder of his life. To where every time somebody says, hey, Peter, I want you to do this. Well, I'd like to, but, you know, I'm the guy that denied Jesus three times. And just let that stay with him and define his life. And he says, no, this is not to define your life. This broken world experience that you've gone through, it does not have to be what defines your life. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to define your life, and that is the fact that I forgive you, I will restore your world, and I'm going to recommission you to a place of service. And that's the third point, and that is we, he recommissions you for useful service. He recommissions you for useful service. With each affirmation of love, Jesus gave Peter a responsibility of leadership in his kingdom work. So again, he's not adding to his pain. He's reassuring him of his love. And so he tells them these things. He says, I want you to feed my lambs. Feeding, that is what a herdsman does with his lamb. Tend my sheep, that means to guard, to protect them. And so he says, you're the ones going to be feeding the sheep. You're going to guard them, and you're going to protect them. Bottom line, you're going to have leadership as we move forward as this New Testament church begins. You will have leadership, and I am giving you this leadership. You are being recommissioned for that. And then verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Really wasn't sure what that means. So you get to verse 19, it says, this he said to show about what kind of death that he was to glorify God. And now uh, most accounts we have show how did Peter die? Does anybody know? He was crucified. And it said he was crucified upside down. And so some will say that when he says your arms will be outstretched, they believe that could mean crucifixion. Well, what John is writing in verse 19, we definitely know that what he's telling Peter is, Peter, you're going to die. You're going to die for me. Now, he doesn't fill in the blanks and say from this point forward while we're on the beach till that time of death. I'm not filling that in, but I will tell you this, just follow me. And in verse end of verse 19, he says, And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. And Peter turned, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? This goes back to the Lord's Supper. And it was John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Hey, Lord, what about that man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me me. What he told Peter is, listen, you're, you're not to be worrying about what this guy or that person or that lady or that person, what I'm supposed to do in their life. All you're supposed to be concerned with is you follow me. Don't get sidetracked by these other things. Don't use those as excuses. Don't sit there and hesitate to follow me because now what's the plan for this person? Just focus on me and follow me. That's your main responsibility. Now, what Jesus is doing, he is recommissioning Peter. I looked up recommissioning, and it's interesting. There's two definitions for recommission. This is what they are, to validate an existing commission or to give a new commission. To recommission means you validate an existing commission, or it means you give a new commission. And I'm here to tell you that with Peter, Jesus did both of them. He validated an existing commission, and he gave him a new commission. He validated an existing commission. We come back to, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? What's sitting out there? There's a boat. There's the net. You know, the one that was guaranteed for 125 fish that caught 153? There's a whole load of fish that was a very successful day for you as a fisherman. There are the buddies that you've got over here that you're hanging out with. My question is, do you love me? more than all of these. And see, the same thing happened in Luke chapter 5. Because in Luke chapter 5, they they've been fishing all night and they didn't catch a thing. They come back. Jesus is getting ready to preach. Jesus gets on one of their boats and they push out a little bit and he finishes up the sermon and says, boys, let's go fishing. They said, we've been fishing all day and we couldn't catch a thing. He says, hey, but Jesus is in the boat. Let's see what happens. So they go out there, throw your nets out. They throw the nets out and they catch so much they had to bring another boat out to bring it all in. And when that happened, Peter fell on his face before him and worshiped Jesus. And Jesus' comment to him was, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And they came into the shore. When they came in the shore, it says, they left it all and followed him. He'd seen a great catch of fish. He'd seen the thrill of what it's like to get a record number of fish. He saw all the things that were happening in his job as a fisherman. And Jesus looks at him and says, guys, I've got something even better for you. And he says, I'm with you. And so when Jesus is sitting there talking to Peter, he says, do you love me more than these? Takes him back to Luke chapter 5 when they've got all these same things out there. And he says, where are we, Peter? Where are we today? And Peter said, Yes. I love you more than all of these things. When he said yes, that validated the commission that Jesus had given him in Luke chapter 5 because he says, hey, where are we catching men now? But then he took a different step, an additional step, and he says, I'm validating the existing commission, and guess what? I'm giving you a new one. You're going to be feeding my lambs, tending my sheep, and feeding my sheep. A restored Peter is also a recommissioned Peter. We take the song, Shadow Step, that we have walked with for the first past couple of months, and I thought about the last line of that song just matches up with this perfect. Fix my heart to yours. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Yes. Fix my heart to yours. Ready for the unexpected. Ready for what you'll do next. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs and tend my sheep. What does that all mean? Not real certain what he knows at that time, but he says, I'm ready for it. And then it says, so take another step. And Jesus looked at him, and he said, follow. Follow me. Take that next step. You are being restored. You've been forgiven. Your world's coming back together, and now I've recommissioned you to take that next step. Now, let me take this one final step further, and that is this message is just not those for needing restoration. Because see, there are many of you that are sitting out here saying, hey, my my world's doing pretty good. Everything's not perfect, but I'm, I'm not in a broken world by any means. This is for every one of us. Because I believe that there will be times in our lives when Jesus will come to us and reaffirm his call on our lives and recommission us. Listen to this. There will be times in our lives where Jesus will come to us, he reaffirms his call on your life, and he will also recommission you. It may be validating the call that's on your life, or he could be leading you in a whole new different direction. And often this reaffirmation takes place after great triumphs or devastating disasters. And for Peter, it was a devastating disaster. But for all of us, it could be a disaster or it could be some of the greatest triumphs. And I believe that when some of the greatest triumphs have our come about in our life, that God comes along, His Son comes along, and He asks us that question, do you love me more than these? When you've had the championship season, when you've closed out the biggest case you've ever had in your life, and it was a win, when you became the number one salesperson, everything was great, You've got the accolades, you've got the trophies, you've got the money, and it's been an amazing time. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and he just looks you in the eye, and he says, it's a great season, isn't it? Let me ask you this. Do you love me more than these? And we have to answer that. And when you answer yes, then what I believe is the recommissioning takes place in one of three ways. Number one, The recommissioning is that he just validates what you're doing, and he says, good, I'm glad you're keeping all this in perspective because I've got you right where you need to be. You just keep on heading this direction. This is where you're supposed to be. This is your sweet spot. Second answer, he could be circling back around, and and when he says, do you love me more than these? And you go, yes, he says, great. This is exactly where I want you to be, but guess what? I'm getting ready to expand your sphere of influence. You just keep doing what you're doing. You're in the right place. You're you're, you're in the right calling. You're in the right career over here. But I'm getting ready to expand your sphere of influence and do things a little different. Or the third could be, do you love me more than these? And Jesus says, what is your answer? And you say yes. And once you say yes, his response will be, you know what? I got a different step for you. We're going to go somewhere in a whole different realm. All I want you to do is to follow me. Fixing your eyes on the unexpected. In the wonder of his shadow step, so take another step. That's the sweet spot of what live sent means. I will follow you wherever it is. It may be you just keep on doing what you're doing. You keep being faithful to me. Or it may be I got a different step for you. I want you to watch a video of a family of our church who's getting ready to take that next step to where they believe that God has recommissioned them to say, take another step and follow me.
1: The world is is not well we live in a sick world and the the healthiest model he's given us is that family that's huddled around christ so why shouldn't the family be out there in the mission field that's that's his tool to show people his goodness
2: in my simplicity of seeing this god says go and you go like there aren't excuses god provides what you need if he says go he's providing the way So we felt that God gave our family a desire for missions. And so when we had our kids, he was telling us, bring them along. Like this is, I did not call you to do this until you had kids.
1: So we had moved to China in 2009 and then we had Nathan and Owen and they had ongoing needs. So we had to come back to Birmingham.
2: So I have four kids, Logan is 11. And then Karis is also 11. We adopted her from Ukraine when she was eight. And then Nathan and Owen are eight now, and they um, both have cerebral palsy, and both of them are nonverbal, so they use communication devices to talk to us. Do you want to get video of him like on his device? Are you ready? Hey. Hey. Spell house. You made this it. H O U S Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right.
1: How many girls do you have? Mm-hmm. Two girls? So we don't know a lot about her early life, but we know enough to know that it was a story that you don't want you don't want to know and you don't want to tell. There's there's a surface connection and people see that and feel like things must be fine, but then there's a deeper level where it's not that she distrusts people is that the concept of trust and love just were never formed. Because of our experience in an adoption with a child that was just surrounded by sin and fallenness for her whole early childhood, God's given us a little bit of perspective and equipped us to be ready. To deal with that as we're ministering in a place where there is a lot of brokenness. We knew eventually that we wanted to be back in the mission field, that we were ready to be back in the mission field. Soon after we started praying that, the Lord reminded us of a contact we had made through Friends in China. Well, the ministry they founded uh, is called Taiwan Sunshine. It's a really a cultural crisis when you have child with special needs there. So Taiwan Sunshine is there to stand in that gap and support people and and share the gospel. They mentioned there's 250 families that we've identified in our small town that we need to be ministering to and we just don't have the capacity to do that. We're just one family. The Lord was like Hello, this is scripture right here. The harvest is plentiful. And you want to be a worker, so go. And so we knew pretty quickly uh, that the Lord was saying go.
2: We come here and do improv games and uh, tape different uh, scripts and stuff like that.
1: So are
2: you a okay. cage? The- uh, some type no, of No, 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 but it's an introvert. No, I don't a a mummy? Mummy? Are you a mummy? <gasps> I was, actually, oh, oh, closer. Are you pharaoh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah! Uh, I can't believe you got that actually. I don't really wanna leave. Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss a lot of things. Yeah.
1: So whenever people ask you know, what they're suppo- What we need them to pray for. The first thing on our list is friendships for Logan because that's a really hard thing in East Asia is building friendships.
2: Preston, my husband, professor at Sanford and pre-construction analyst for Ford construction He'll be leaving his job, in both jobs in June, and he will be the uh, chief, chief operating officer of Taiwan Sunshine when we move to Taiwan. And then there's me. <laughs> like my thing, like initially was like, I'm gonna, you know, like, it's go. Like people just have to go, you know, like. I do you not I don't know. It's hard for me to reconcile in my mind why people wouldn't go. You know, it's clear, and I know I'm oversimplifying probably. To me, it's clear that God says to go.
1: Our story is a story for the purpose of telling his story but that's true of everyone's story everyone has a unique story and the reason for the uniqueness of every individual's day-to-day struggles and day-to-day realities is an opportunity to tell other people about his story
2: to me if you can function here because he's provided the way then he's going to provide the way You just have to say yes.
0: Jesus said that um, we are to follow. And just like she said, it is to to give our yes. And so I don't know what your situation, where you are uh, today, but I do know that our Lord always is uh, talking to us, recommissioning us, wanting us to answer that question, do you love me more than these? And then to make clear what that next step is in life. And so for us, from a responsive standpoint, I'm going to ask you at this time to stand up. And, and uh, as you stand, uh, Michael's going to lead us singing, an old hymn, and it's wherever he leads, I'll go. It's my prayer that as, uh, as you sing this song, you look at those words and let those words resonate in your own heart. And make your own prayer to the Lord and and truly say, Lord, wherever it is that you call, wherever you lead, I want to follow. Let us sing.